Well, good morning and welcome to Ritson Road Alliance Church Online. If you've been following with us, you probably know who I am by now. My name is Chris Corbin and I have the privilege of serving as the pastor at the church here. And we are so truly thankful that you have decided to join with us for the next 40 or so minutes this morning, wherever or however you are watching. I was thinking about it and I don't know what you're feeling or what you're going through today. But what I do know is this, that it is really easy for us to get caught up in thinking about all of the negative things, all of the problems, all of the things that aren't going well, and whether it's the problems that we see in the world around us, and we could certainly say that there's lots that's going on that's just not right in the world around us. You know, we can get caught up in thinking about health issues, mental, physical, emotional. We can get caught thinking about financial stress or the loss of dreams and hopes and well-laid plans. You know, maybe it's the loss of a graduation ceremony or the loss of a summer job that you were really looking forward to or even a missed vacation that you won't be able to take this year. So whatever the situation is that you're, fe you're facing, it's really easy to get pulled down and, and, and to feel a weight. And I feel the same weight at times. It is tough. And you know what? It's actually okay to feel those things. It's okay to grieve and to lament. And so as your pastor, I give you permission to do those things. And I also want to encourage you with a Bible verse this morning. It's found in Lamentations 3 and it says this. It says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, and therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. As I was reflecting on that, I was reminded that no matter what our situation is, no matter what we're going through, we can hold on to hope because God is faithful and God is good. And so this morning, I want to pray for you. And so would you join with me in a word of prayer? Well, God, we thank you today that you are in fact good that you are bigger than anything in this world that we might face. You are bigger than any health issues. You are bigger than any disappointment that might come our way. You are bigger than any of our fears or doubts. And so, Father God, I pray for anyone who is struggling today, for those who would say that life is not good right now. And I pray that you would meet them wherever they are, right at this moment, and you would remind them that you are a God who loves us greatly. You are a God who can empathize with our situations, and that you are also a God who redeems and restores. And so this morning, may we wait for you. May we hope in you, and may we seek you today. Amen. Well, just one more thing before we get started is I want to encourage you to engage with God today. 
I want you to be open to whatever it is that God might have in store for you this morning. Maybe he wants to speak to you through the worship, or maybe he wants to speak to you through the kids' moment, or through the sermon. And so you might want to grab a journal, or a pen and a paper, to be able to record any thoughts that you might have, or, or to record any of those ways that God might meet you through the service. And my hope and my prayer and my, my invitation to you is that you would come with an expectation that God will meet you today. Well, welcome back. If you're just joining us, we've been working through a series called, Who Are You? And through this series, we've been exploring how our identity is shaped by being followers of God. I've said it a few times over the series, and I'm going to say it again, but what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about our identity, is foundational to the way in which we live our lives. And so as followers of God, this is so important, that we have a right understanding of who we are so that we live our lives appropriately, appropriately as God's followers. I want you to think about this for a moment. If you have only ever been told that you are a bad person, or that you're a screw-up, that you can't do anything right, that you won't make anything of yourself, you're eventually going to start to believe those things, aren't you? And then as a result of that identity being formed within you, when things happen in your life, you actually begin to view those things happening through the lens of, well, it's just who I am. And so that identity that's formed within us actually becomes part of the narrative of our whole lives. Of course, the same could also be said of the opposite extreme. If you're only ever told that you're amazing and, and awesome, you might get an inflated ego and, and it might not be natural, it might not be true. And so, if our lives are lived, at least in part, based on how we perceive ourselves, it would it's important for us, it's prudent for us to really establish our identity on a solid foundation of truth. So that when we are a follower of Jesus, when we are followers of God, we want to know what God says about our identity. And if we want to do that, the best place that we can do it is to look through the Bible, to read into the scriptures, because God has a lot to say about who we are. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the invitation that God extends to his followers to be spirit-filled people. Now, there's a reason that I say that God extends an invitation for his followers to be spirit-filled. Now, I believe that God longs for all of his people, anyone who follows him and believes in Jesus, to be spirit-filled. But there is a difference between receiving the Holy Spirit when we acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and Savior and being filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit upon confession. He comes and he dwells within you. You know, we see this in the life of the disciples. And in John chapter 20, shortly after Jesus has been raised from the dead, he appears to the disciples. And as when he's with them, he says this, he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
But then in Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus commanding the disciples, who we know have already received the Holy Spirit, to wait until they've been baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. And so then in the very next chapter, and as we're going to see today, the disciples are actually filled with the Holy Spirit. The implication that we find here is that there is a difference between having the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Now certainly you can receive and be filled with the Spirit at the same time, and yet they are also at times very distinct and different events. Unfortunately, it's possible for some Christians to live their whole lives without the empowering, indwelling, and filling of the Holy Spirit. But the invitation to be filled with the Spirit is for every single believer. The question then is, so what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Well, in just a moment, we're going to turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, where we see the account of the day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit came and filled the believers who were gathered in the upper room waiting and praying. And it's perfectly timed because today we celebrate, we remember the day of Pentecost as part of the church calendar. But before we jump to our passage in Acts 2, I want to start by turning our attention to John the Baptist for a moment. John the Baptist was an expectant person. His whole ministry was to prepare the people for the coming of God's kingdom. And the reason I want to look at the account of John the Baptist is because he actually gives us a foretaste of what it's going to look like when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the, on the followers of Jesus, when the disciples receive that filling of the Spirit. There are two particular passages that stand out to me. And the first is found in John chapter 1, where we read John giving this testimony. He says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And he's speaking of Jesus. And then he goes on, he says, And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John tells us that the Holy Spirit descended and remained on Jesus when he was baptized. The presence of the Holy Spirit is both real and tangible. It is clear and unmistakable both to us and to those around us. The second passage I want to highlight is found in Matthew chapter 3. And John the Baptist is saying, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. For the longest time, when I read that passage, I would just get so caught up in John's humility. He is acknowledging that he's not even worthy to carry the sandals of Jesus. And yet, I completely failed to see that John was actually speaking about what the outpouring or the filling of the Spirit would look like. This is a prophetic moment in the history of the church. John would never get to see the fulfillment of Jesus baptizing the believers with the Holy Spirit and fire. But I'm certain that he lived within an expectancy of that day when it would happen. And my hope is that we would all live with that same kind of expectancy, 
with humble hearts, anticipating the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit upon his people. So turning back to the disciples and Jesus, we actually find the disciples waiting with a similar kind of expectancy that John had. And so right before Jesus ascends to heaven, and only a few days before the disciples are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we actually see Jesus telling the disciples the same thing. He says, stay in Jerusalem. Wait until you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. He says, wait for the gift my Father has given. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And now we come to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read about the very thing which Jesus has told them to wait for. What That was prophesied by John, that it's actually going to literally and actually take place. And so in Acts chapter 2, we read this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Here we see the Holy Spirit of God being poured out on the disciples. The very real, tangible, and manifest presence and power of God descending upon the believers and filling them up. And this tangible presence was actually both evident to them, the believers, and to everyone around them. We read further that everyone was so awestruck by what is happening. So what does this mean for us? So what happens when the followers of Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, there's actually a number of things that can happen when the Holy Spirit fills believers, but I want to draw your attention to two things this morning. And the first thing that we see as a result of the filling of the Holy Spirit is a bold proclamation of the gospel. If we continue to read in Acts chapter 2, the very first thing that Peter does after the Holy Spirit came upon him was to quote scripture and proclaim the message of the kingdom of God. The people around them were amazed and totally perplexed by the fact that these men from Galilee would suddenly start speaking in their languages. All sorts of languages from all around the world that they were speaking And yet, there were others in the crowd who were making fun of them. And it says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. But in response to the crowd, Peter gets up and he addresses them. He has this boldness to him. This is the very same Peter, remember, when Jesus was on trial, was intimidated by a servant girl and denied being with Jesus. And now he has this boldness, this courage to stand up and to publicly proclaim the truth about Jesus and his kingdom. And this was because of the boldness and the power of the filling of the Holy Spirit. The same thing should be true of us. When Holy Spirit comes upon us and fills us with his presence, 
there should be a bold proclamation of his gospel. It's a recognition of our brokenness and our sinfulness. It, it, it's an acknowledgement of our desperate need for a savior. And then it's a receiving of God's saving grace, followed up by a walking out of the victorious life that is available in Jesus Christ. It is living out of a restored life with the Creator, God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can boldly proclaim this gospel. So when Holy Spirit comes upon us, there should be a bold proclamation. The next thing that we see happening as a result of the filling of the Holy Spirit is that there is an outpouring of supernatural gifts and divine healing. We read at the end of the chapter, in verse 43, it says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And then in the next chapter, we find the account of Peter and John healing this paralytic man at the temple gates. And it's not just Peter and John. They're not the only two disciples we see doing this. Throughout the book of Acts, we see God's miracles being performed. Paul's ministry is accompanied by signs and wonders. The disciples knew that they possessed something. They possessed the very healing presence of Jesus. The supernatural ability to heal was not of anything they possessed in their own strength. It wasn't in Peter, and it wasn't meant even to glorify Peter. It was the power and the presence of God. But it was in them to give away. As they had been filled by God's presence, it was in them to pass that on to those around them. As spirit-filled people, we need to recognize that this is not some abstract power that is under our control. We don't get to wield it however we want. It is a person. It is the very presence of God coming so that we can be bold witnesses to the kingdom of God everywhere, all the time. And we should have an expectation that when we are filled with Holy Spirit, that supernatural signs and wonders will take place. Not because we can somehow control them, but because the God of all creation is in us. And it is His power and authority that fills us with His empowering presence. But let me say this. The supernatural is not the primary end goal. It's not about seeing signs and wonders, but it is a testimony to the reality and the power of the name of Jesus. In the Christian and Missionary Alliance, we talk about coming with an expectancy without agenda. And what that means is we have an expectancy that God will show up and he will move. But we don't demand how and we don't demand when. We come expectant that the God who dwells within us will move. One more thing I want to point out about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Before I share how we can be filled is this. It's meant to happen more than once. The filling of the Holy Spirit within our lives is meant to be a continuous lifestyle. A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church, when speaking about the filling of the Holy Spirit once wrote, God's blessing is too vast and our capacity too great to be filled in a moment. 
We must drink and drink and drink again and yet again if we would know all the fullness of the river of his grace. Over and over and over again through the book of Acts, we see the same disciples, Peter and John and Paul, being filled again by the Holy Spirit. And if the disciples needed to be constantly filled, then we do too. It's that beautiful image that we need to be filled to be spilled. And so now maybe you're asking the question, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? And so in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the first thing we must do is we must be empty. And what I mean by this is that we must be right before God. We first and foremost need to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then we need to confess our sin. In Joel chapter 2, right before the promise of the outpouring of the Spirit, there's a call to repentance. And we read in, in, in the verses, chapters, or verses 12 and 13, Joel says this, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Repentance or clearing out our junk and emptying ourselves, it prepares the way for fresh encounters with God. It prepares a space for the Holy Spirit to come and fill. The next step to being filled with Holy Spirit is that we must be thirsty. We must be hungry and long for it. Just plain and simple. We need to want it. We must be desperate for it. Jesus said, Let anyone who is thirsty come and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then finally, we must ask. Not finally, there's a, the next thing is we must ask for it. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, if you then know you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If you want more of God in your life, if you want to experience the filling of Holy Spirit, the simplest way I know is to humbly ask. To position yourself and to receive it. And it's to ask others to come and pray for you, to pray a, a blessing upon you, to receive the Holy Spirit. And then finally, the, the last step in receiving the Holy Spirit, I guess it's not really the last step, but the next thing that we have to do is we have to wait upon the Lord. This is not a passive waiting. It's not just sitting around and hoping that one day God's going to show up and he's going to send his Spirit. This is an active waiting. This is a pursuit. The disciples waited as they faithfully pursued God for his promises. Acts 1.14 tells us that they all joined together constantly in prayer. If you do a study of revivals throughout church history, you will almost always find that they were preceded by men and women of faith who were actively seeking God in prayer for a fresh filling 
of his Holy Spirit. The world desperately needs people who will walk boldly in their identity as spirit-filled believers. Leonard Ravenhill, a famous evangelist and author, once wrote this, There is but one way to save this generation. It is the way of the Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So I wonder this morning, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you living into your identity as spirit-filled followers of Jesus? This morning, if you are watching and you are a follower of Jesus, but perhaps you have never experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit, or maybe you just long to be filled afresh today, I would invite you to join me in prayer asking for Holy Spirit to come and fill you. And if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you long to live a life that is overflowing with the Spirit of God. Come to Jesus. Acknowledge your need for Him. Repent of your sins and invite Him to fill you. And so would you, with open hands and in a posture of receiving, would you join with me in prayer? So Father, we recognize our need for you. We recognize that without you, we cannot live an empowered, filled life one that brings honor and glory and proclamation to your kingdom. So we invite you now, Holy Spirit, to come and to fill us. Would you fill us afresh with your presence, that we might know you, we might serve you, and we might boldly and faithfully declare you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Well, I want to leave you with just a few more questions for reflections and a little bit of homework this week. And so may you take some time, work through these questions, be open and honest, and would you invite Holy Spirit to speak, to lead you and to guide you. And would you be blessed.